who's your master? That is the title of this message today, and it, and it brings in different connotations for words. UNICEF, the World Organization for Helping People and Feeding Them and Clothing Them and on and on and on, has estimated that there are 6 million slaves in this world today, and that is hard for us in rural Sullivan, Indiana, to, to grasp. Six million are in bondage. Six million are being used for work and who knows what, actually. But the terms master and slave have terrible connotations for our African-American brothers and sisters because this period in our history is a tremendous blight upon us. It's, it's uh, filled with atrocities and has caused deep, deep emotion and feelings that fuel prejudice, hatred, unfortunately, violence in some cases. We continually pray for healing and grace among people who harbor such strong bias against those who are different. We must understand that this concept of master and slave has been around since the beginning. Whether you know it or not, as a follower of Christ, it has great meaning and significance for you and I today. God uses his names and his words in a way to, to, for us to get to know him, um, know him better, actually. And in those names, he reveals his character to us, his children. So as we come across God's names in the Bible, we should ask, what does this name tell us about God? This morning, I want to look at the name Adonai, translated by the English word capital L, lowercase o-r-d. It's not to be confused with capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord, which is Jehovah, which we'll look at next week. But if you remember that story in Genesis, Abraham sat at uh, the door of his tent and would be aware of three men approaching he addressed him as my Lord or Adonai in Genesis 18.3. Apparently, his, the Spirit of God moved upon him, and he realized that these weren't ordinary men that were coming to him. In fact, they represented God in human form. He, he sensed the nature of their divinity, as the text in chapter 18 shows. The word Adonai was in general use in Abraham's day and was used to describe an earthly master. It was also used when a wife addressed her husband. As Sarah used it in Genesis 18, 12, calling Abraham her Adonai. And this is foreign concept, a foreign concept today, but maybe in some household, I'm sure the head deputy, Jason Bobbitt, when he gets home, goes home at night, there's Becky with the door flap, tent flap open, down on her knees. Oh, welcome home, my Adonai, my master. Yeah, you, I'm, I'm sure that, uh, yeah. Or at Mike Weibel's house or even Bill Snodgrass, who would have us to believe that, but I don't believe it. But think about that concept and how that's changed. And I'm being a little absurd this morning, but I'm trying to make that point that you as women, who I do hold in high regard, I hope you grasp the freedom that Jesus Christ brought into your lives, even now and even back in those days, because before Jesus came, women still fit this bill as being property. They... They, they didn't have their own thoughts or ideas or whatever that was theirs of their masters. So the name Adonai expressed a personal relationship which involved the rights of lordship and possession. Slaves and women in Abraham's day were not their own. Nothing was their own. All their clothes, everything they had belonged to the master. Both voluntary or involuntary, they belonged to and were the property of their lord, of their Adonai. Slaves were purchased with money, captured in war, had been born to slaves already belonging to the master. Wives were either given or sold to men by their fathers. 
There might have been a few cases where that didn't, there was some free choice involved in the transaction of the wife, as in the case of Rebecca, whose father asked her, will you go with this man, Genesis 24, 58. But once that decision had been made, that woman lived in subjection to her, her Lord Adonai and as a slave, his Lord. God wanted to tell us that a relationship exists that way between God in heaven and man on earth. And he constantly uses those titles in here, master, husband, slave, over and over again. He, he's trying to bring the, the, the fact across that that's our relationship with us, that when we bent the knee to Christ and gave him our heart, he automatically has a claim on your life. Now, you might run from it. You might try to rationalize it away and ignore it. But nonetheless, God in heaven, who has given his son's life for us, has a claim on your life. We are not our own, the Bible says. We were bought with a price, and that price was the precious blood of Christ. So we look at that story in Genesis 18. Abraham used, was used to the word Adonai. But he switched roles in that. Instead of being the Lord and the master, he ran to those three men and became their servant. And that's, he made that switch. And some believe that one of these three was Jesus Christ himself. We are intended to wait upon our heavenly master in such a fashion, not out of fear, but out of love. In Hebrew law, provision was made for slaves to go free in the year of Jubilee. And for some, in some case, if the... The slave didn't want to be free, that he, he, he loved his master so much. In Exodus 21, 5, when he would say, I love my master and my wife and my children, and I do not want to go free. And do you know what they do? They'd take him to the public square out in public, and they'd take one of his ears, and they would take an awl, which is like a, 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 a sharp instrument, actually, and he would bore a hole through that ear it was big enough that people could see that his ear was pierced and, and that then they knew what he was to his master, that he was marked for life to be a, a servant to that master, actually. And it was a special relationship between the two. We who are followers of Christ are expected to respond to our Adonai with such service that we'll be marked men and women. Do you see yourself as marked with the mark of Christ in your life, in your home, where you work, maybe you're in school. Do those around you see you as different? Do they see you as marked? And after we're around followers of Christ for a while, it should be evident. It should be evident in the way that we treat people, in our compassion, in our love, our perspective on things, and in our actions. And that's the point that the scripture is trying to make to us. Jesus himself told us not to lord it over those that we're responsible for, but to serve God and our fellow men humbly. Was it not Jesus himself after washing his disciples' feet, which is the lowliest service a slave would render? I am sure the disciples thought that was bizarre that here God in the flesh put on a servant's towel and knelt before each one of them and washed their feet. I'm sure that, that, that it just blew them completely away. They couldn't grasp it because that's too lowly a task. He said in John 13, 13 and 14, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. 
do like me, serve others. It goes way beyond washing feet. It goes beyond helping widows and orphans. It goes out into the fact that where you help clothe and feed people and show the love of Christ into people's lives. That's why we go to Haiti. That's why we do things. It's like Abraham and those of us in leadership roles must learn to serve Adonai and our fellow man as our heavenly Adonai served us while here on earth. That's a part of our lives sometimes that we don't really cherish of being a servant. The best leaders in this world are the best servants. Another obvious lesson we can draw from the master-slave analogy is that is unquestionable obedience. Slavery and obedience go together. When Isaiah Isaiah looked through the door of heaven, he saw the Lord Adonai sitting on his throne. He also saw the angels of God flying this way and that, ready to be obedient to God's command. And then he heard the voice of Adonai asking, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah responded with the words, Here I am, send me, Isaiah 6, 8. It was this aspect of master-slave that Isaiah had in mind when he addressed God. And he had to be obedient. God was sending him back into a world where people didn't want to listen to God. They were stiff-necked. They were not obedient. But God had placed that call up on his life to go among them and, and, and talk about God and be God's spokesman, actually. When his master asked who will go and willing, the willing, loving slave responds, Here I am. Send me, Lord. Is that your first thought in the morning before you crawl out of bed? Man, Lord, here I am. Wherever you ask me to go, whatever you ask me to do, I will do that today. That, that, that is what Isaiah was talking about. And that's the way it should be for you and I. But the question is, is it in your life? But it's this concept of the master and slave that helps us to be obedient. It's the idea of the husband and wife relationship that softens this command. A lot of times we think about master and slave. We think about beatings. We think about terrible things that befall us on our person. But when he brings this concept in of the husband and wife, that, that brings a different element to it. I've married many of you. You don't see it, maybe, and hopefully you do. But when you stand in this place, husband and wife facing each other, there, there was... I see looks and eyes that I don't commonly see. (laughs) Because it's at that moment in time, at that intersection of time and space, that you have chosen that person over every other human on the face of this planet to be one of you, one flesh, together. And that is the relationship that God wants us to have with him, and he wants us to see it that way. The Old Testament's full of comments by our heavenly Adonai to this effect. Isaiah says, for your maker is your husband in 54.5. And as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you, 62.5. God reminds Jeremiah, that was in Isaiah, God reminds Jeremiah, I was a husband to them, Jeremiah 31.32. Not that I was a cruel taskmaster, not that I beat them, not that I inflicted great scars and pain in their life, I was a husband to them. I loved them. I put them over myself. Ezekiel gives us God's allegory of Israel as an unfaithful wife, and we hear God complaining. You adulterous wife, 
You prefer strangers to your own husband, Ezekiel 16, 32. Our heavenly Adonai expects us to be faithful to our marriage covenant with him, honoring with all of our soul, all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our strength. And this picture is displayed in the New Testament with Christ is pictured as the bridegroom with the church as his bride. God wants us all to grasp the idea that it should be as unthinkable for us to love the world than it would be to cheat on our spouses. We are submit to each other with loving, responsible hearts. Paul explains this master slave concept in Romans 6. He talks about if we're no longer under the law but under grace, are we free to sin and disregard the Ten Commandments? Paul says, absolutely not, by no means. When we are under the law, sin was our master. For the law could not help us overcome sin, but now that we are bound in Christ, he is our master, and he gives us power to do good rather than evil. That's how we break out of being evil to doing good. The Holy Spirit comes in, and he gives us that power to do that if we listen to him. Romans 6, 16, 22, Paul's words are explicit. Don't you realize whatever you choose to obey becomes your master? You can choose sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God and receive his approval. Thank God once you were slaves of sin, but now you have obeyed with all your heart the new teaching God has given you. Now you are free from sin, your old master, and you have become slave to your new master, righteousness. I speak this way using the illustration of slaves and masters because it's easy to understand. Because you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, now you must choose to be slaves of righteousness so that you will become holy. In those days you were slaves of sin. You weren't concerned with doing what was right. And what was the result? It was not good since now you are ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. How many of us, when we are taken back to the past and people remind us or it's in front of us of the, of the things that we've done that we wished we hadn't have done them because they hurt people and they cause great pain. That's what he's talking about here. But now you're free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. You are slaves of the one whom you obey. We humans, we're all enslaved to something, even though we don't think we are. And we, we, we put so much emphasis on being independent. But actually, God made us to be interdependent upon him. Paul uses a human term in 619. He wanted them to understand about slaves. And in the Roman Empire, they understood about slaves. Over half the Roman Empire was slaves. So slaves outnumbered free people, which is an amazing thing. But they conquered these people and made slaves out of them, actually. So Paul knew that when he spoke in this verbiage that they would understand that. And one of the things about the New Testament church, when they had church like this, there were free people there. And then there were slaves intermingled among them. But can you imagine that, being in bondage in slavery and sitting in a place and praising God and everybody's the same? That is the way it's supposed to be. They saw themselves as equals, the same in Christ as it should be with us. But when people are enslaved to sin, however, they are held in bondage to a master who seeks their destruction. When Jesus Christ is our master, he seems, seeks our good. But when sin is the master, and we know the effects of sin, don't we? Many of us probably have scars within and without our body because of abuse and the power of sin in our lives. But when you're enslaved to God, it's different. 
I don't serve God because I have to. I serve God because I want to. And my love for him and his love for me has given me this great desire to serve him. I want to please him. Life is filled with choices about who and what we will obey. Another way of expressing Paul's phrase is you are a slave to whoever, whomever or whatever you commit yourself to obey. This means that friendships, goals, employment, citizenship, membership, education, career, debt, hobbies, and marriage all fall under the aspects of slavery. We should choose our slavery wisely. When sin is our master, we have no power to fight it. We just do as it bids, wherever it takes us, whoever it destroys. We are slaves to sin, which leads to death. But when we choose righteousness, we will discover a whole different meaning. There are only two ultimate choices and no middle ground. That's why Jesus said, Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. So when we refuse to allow God to be our master, we are choosing sin instead, which leads to death. But when we do God's bidding, while service to sin leaves us powerless and leads to death, serving to God leads to righteousness and eternal life and God's blessings on our life. In Christ, we are to become slaves to obedience. How's that work in your life? Are any of these characteristics of obedience true about you? Willing loyalty, quick responsiveness, intuitive understanding, readiness to change, eagerness to learn. You think about these qualities, how many of those are in your relationship to God? And how should this concept of us being slaves and Jesus being our master and our being in total obedience to him affect us? The idea of service was born in our hearts the day that we became his child. It became part of us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Just as a true slave have no rights, only those of the masters, you and I, we really don't have any rights. We have the rights of Christ. We have the rights that's found in this Bible. They're his rights. They, and as we follow him and as we are obedient, he blesses us. Just like the slaves mentioned in God's word, we need to accept that it's not my time. It's God's time. It's not my money. In all reality, it's God's money. It's not my service. It's God's service, and all my choices are my master's. And why do I do that? Because he's a good, good father. You'll not find anything other, uh, uh, like this in the entire universe, actually. When you think about who you are right now in Christ, have you changed from when you didn't know Jesus or when you weren't following? Have you changed any? Well, I, I, I know I did. I don't want to do the things that I did before. I don't want to get high. <laughs> I can get high on Jesus. <laughs> And when I'm high on Jesus, I don't drive like a maniac. <laughs> well, I do sometimes, but I have to ask forgiveness. But you know what I'm saying. When I found Christ and I responded, I decided I would try to listen to his voice as best I could. I've not been an obedient person. I had a problem with authority when I was small, younger. I have Greek letters on my buttocks to show it sometimes. But 
But when I came to Christ, things changed. And all the things he told me to do, I tried to do them. And I've got an old Tossum chain link Bible that's all marked up because I, that's what I did. And I would search his scripture for what he wanted me to do. And at the end of the day, I'd say, Lord, did I obey you? If not, why? And I read that God wants me to be an honest servant. So the people that I had wronged in the past, I tried to find them and apologize to them. I waited 40 years to do that with one person, but I finally got it off my chest. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? But nonetheless, and then I had this desire to share my story. And you know, that's what witnessing is. It's just sharing your story, what Jesus has done for you. And I, I tried to share that with as many people as possible. And I, try, no, I tried not to make major decisions without inquiring what my master's wishes was. And so from my earliest days as a believer, I, I, I learned obedience. I learned to go where God asked me to go and to do what he asked me to do. And that's why I've always appreciated my wife, Diana, because she said when God placed that call upon my heart, she said, I'll go where you go, and I'll do what you do. And she never balked, never said, I can't, never said, I won't. That's, that's been an amazing thing to me. And so he called us up north, and we spent seven years in Freeport, Illinois, and seven years in Mount Carroll. And then we came down here to Sullivan, and it wasn't always easy. Obedience is not always easy, is it? We don't, who, who loves that? Obedience to God as his slave has been extremely hard at times. And slavery is not an occupation for weak-willed people. We cannot do it on our own because we like to be in control. We want to call the shots. We want to go where we go when we want to, and we want to do what we want when we want to. But sometimes God has different plans for that, and we, we hold him off and say, you know what, God, I'm, I'm going to do this. But you have to understand in kingdom life, God calls the shots. We don't call them. We want to. And boy, a lot of times we call the shots that don't turn out so good. It has helped me to know that my Adonai is not only my Lord and I his servant, but he is my Abba. He is my heavenly Father who loves me unconditionally all the time. I cannot do any more or any less to make God love me any more than he does at this exact moment. There's no one else like that. We put conditions on people. I'll love you if you do this and that, and if you don't do this, you're on my list, and that's too bad. God doesn't do that to us. He will always care about me forever. He's concerned about my well-being. He will give me focus and purpose and great fulfillment in this life, which he has done. He has taken me on some great adventures, and there are more to follow. He will always bless me abundantly when I'm obedient which he has in so many ways, and he will continue to do so. But it all comes down to this, friends. It comes down to having a change of heart. Too many people in the church are religious. They, they might read the Bible religiously. They might give. They might come to church. They're religious about it. But they don't have a love relationship with Christ. There's a huge gap there. There's a huge difference. Because if we do things religiously... We just do it because it's a habit or we have to. But when we serve Christ with a love relationship, we will go far 
beyond what he asks us to do to please him. We were wholehearted sinners, even if only in desire. But now we are to be wholehearted servers, but doing so requires these characteristics. Grace, repentance, forgiveness, the lordship of Christ, power of the Holy Spirit, restraint of our desires, and disciplined effort. Are these qualities and spiritual characters alive and well in your life, beloved? If not, he wants them to be, and he will help you obtain them. We, are, we try to be positive, don't we? We think the world is going to get better. I'm not a doomsday or a pessimist, but I do believe we live in a dying world. We have destroyed our air and our resources. And as sin abounds, we see more and more people being destroyed, destroying their bodies, destroying their marriages, and on and on. And like I said, our hope, our only hope is Christ. Regardless how the world continues to go till Jesus blows that, has the angel blow the trumpet and that eastern sky splits, splits and he hauls us out of here, we are to stay the course regardless of what happens. And we can stay strong, strong and true and full of peace and joy only in Christ this morning. So think about what God has said to you. It's not so much, he just uses these vocal cords. It's not what I say, it's what he says. But what's he said to you this morning with your relationship to him? Is Jesus truly your Adonai? Is he your master? Is his voice heard above all others? Is his direction the one that you, you hang on to and follow? Lord, I love you. And I know it's hard being a follower of Christ. It's one of the most difficult things on this earth. But it's also the most blessed and it's the only place to live. It's the only place to be if we want peace and joy in our hearts and guidance and direction. So I pray for these people that I love, and I know you love them as well, Lord. Whatever that thing in their life that maybe they need to deal with this morning, that they do that. If there'd be any here that don't know you as Lord and Savior, that they might come to this place and people at this place in the front who love them would instruct them and help them. And if anybody just needs to come up and lay a burden down and be prayed with as well, this front is always open. This altar is always open for, for everyone. So right now, Father, I just pray that we're just honest and obedient, for we ask these things in your precious name. Amen.
in that song, those lyrics. May that be our heart this morning. We realize how desperately we need you, Lord, not just on Sundays, but actually 24 hours a day, seven days a week. A lot of choices we have in life, and a lot of times, Father, when you come to us, Holy Spirit, and you ask us to do things, we kind of change our mind, or we balk at the with a command, a loving command, but nonetheless, we do. So I pray, Father, as we go on with this day, Lord, and we go to our different places of work tomorrow or school, don't you realize, or we realize why we're there and what you have in store for us and what we are to do. We might be open and honest to you, Lord, and say, here I am. Send me. Send me into that place. Send me into that place to love people and serve people and be Jesus and tell the truth when it needs to be told. So it's my prayer this morning, Father. May we leave this place with total peace and joy in our hearts of you. For we ask in the name of Christ, amen.